Volatility. <laughs> if you've ever been a part of a startup business, <laughs> if you started your own business, uh, you, you know this word. If you got married, you know this word. If you have dated, you know this word. If you've gone through college, you've known this word, right? Volatility, change. I mean, when stuff just, man, like you don't expect it, right? It just goes up and down. Health, you know this word if you've ever battled anything physically, right? Volatility. And not only in those areas, we see volatility as we serve God. And we want to shed light on that a little bit today. And we want to see how in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of ebbing and flowing, in the midst of change and flux, how we as God's children can be flexible, how we can adapt, how we can learn how to, how to take things in stride and see an overarching plan. That's what we want to talk about today in terms of volatility and adaptability. I'm not just talking about we need to be chameleons wherever we go, but I I want us to know that in faith and when we have our eyes on God's kingdom and on His heart, we can look at our life, our surroundings, and everything that Satan, the world, people can throw at us and still say, hey, I, I got this. It might not be perfect, but uh, I, I know how to handle this in faith. Acts chapter 18, starting from verse 1. Paul is now in a new city. He's in the city of Corinth, right? He left, he left Athens, and it says this, verse 1, After these things he left Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, being a tent maker, he stayed with them and they were working. For by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, remember they were separated for a while, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now, from now on, I, I shall go on to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and he went to the house of a certain man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. And, and, and Crispus the leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they had heard, were believing and being baptized. The Lord said to Paul, the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there, a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Amen. This is the map that I've been showing you over his second missionary journey. He's now in that part, right there in Greece, right? In Corinth. And here, as our passage indicated, he stayed a year, right? If you've been with us through this journey in Acts, you, you realize that in some cities he stayed three weeks. In Athens, he spoke one message pretty much. Right? And so in certain areas, he, he's there a very short while, 
He's being persecuted pretty much wherever he goes, the extent of that varying in different cities. But here in Corinth, it says that he stayed a year and a half. So in terms of like the rhythm of his ministry, it drastically slowed down. We're not talking about like, bam, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet. We're saying, now he's like, okay, wait a minute. It's, 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 it's a very different kind of moment. Stay. And so Corinth, if you look at it, it had two harbors, right? And it was a major commercial center in the Roman Empire. Corinth was. So a lot of people passed through it. Kind of think of it like, I don't know, maybe like the Los Angeles County and like Long Beach, San Pedro. Kind of there, right? And so you got a lot of goods traveling through. You got a lot of caravans carrying merchandise to it, from it. A lot of travelers, traders, a lot of money flowing through. Corinth was like that. And if you know anything about major commercial areas, also what flourishes in the midst of all of this marketplace activity is sex trade. And so Corinth was known as a very sexually immoral city. And to to have a friend who is a Corinthian was really to refer to that friend as a prostitute. To act like a Corinthian was to sexually fornicate. That was the common day verbiage in that culture. And so Corinth was was a booming commercial place, but it was also booming in other ways. And so Corinth was that. And so for Paul to stay here and to establish a strong church, number one, it was difficult. Right? It's hard. It was a difficult space to plant and root a a strong church. But if you did root a strong church in Corinth, it was very influential. You kind of get that, right? It's a double-edged thing, right? And so here in this thriving Mecca of a marketplace, Paul stays an extended period of time, finds some people that he really connects with, is interfacing with others that want nothing to do with him, and yet here a church is being born. Through this message, I'm going to talk about two observations of Paul in our passage, and then as I conclude, there will be two implications for our lives. Okay, so two observations, two implications. The first point is the first observation. Paul didn't force ministry. He didn't force it. Now, this I find somewhat kind of um, strange. Because if you kind of get a gist of Paul's personality as is is shown to us in the book of Acts or through his letters, he was a strong leader. He was a go-getter. He was a pioneer, a trailblazer. He wasn't afraid of the moment. A lot of the times, right? But we find in Corinth that Paul didn't force the issue, right? When it wasn't there, he didn't push it. He wasn't trying to jam that that square in in the circle hole. He was like, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to take a step back for a moment. And so we see at times in his journey that he takes this step back like he did in Corinth. And there are other times where he's got the pedal to the metal and he's just going full throttle, right? But here we find kind of this ebb and flow, this variation, right? He finds Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife. They came from Italy, 
and as he meets them, there was an immediate connection with, with this couple. An immediate connection. It was like, uh, like you understood each other because they had the same trade. They were tent makers, right? And so they immediately had something to talk about. You know, if you ever met somebody that had like the hat of your favorite sports team, immediately you can have a connection because you start talking about that sports team. Or you meet somebody in the same department with the same role or has the same dress as you. There is just a common point of interest and conversation and immediately there was a connection between these folks, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. Paul took to them. They took to him. And he stayed with them. He stayed in the house of uh, Priscilla and Aquila while he was there in Corinth. And it shows in the beginning that as this was happening, it shows Paul as a person that was working through the week as a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila. And only on the weekend, so to speak, on the, uh, the, the Sabbath day, he would go into the synagogue and begin to teach. And so he wasn't there throughout the week. And as we see this, he's literally slowing things way down. Right? And as this rhythm is happening, suddenly Silas and Timothy rejoin. They come from Macedonia. And as they, they rejoin Paul there in Corinth, what's alluded to, What's alluded to in the text is that they bring some form of support from the churches, right? And so Paul, uh, Timothy and Silas were likely carrying a love offering by the churches over there and brought it to Paul in Corinth. And after that, what we see is that he was pretty much on a daily basis in the synagogues teaching. And he, he changed kind of the rhythm of his ministry. He was like, okay, I'm with Priscilla and Aquila throughout the week. We're kind of making and selling tents, supporting ourselves. And on the Sabbath, I'll go and I'll talk with people. But as soon as Timothy and Silas came, it says that he devoted himself to the teaching of the word. He devoted. Meaning that he was no longer making tents with Priscilla and Aquila. And now on a regular basis, wherever he can find anybody to talk to, that's what he was doing. He was solemnly testifying of the gospel. Right? And then there came a moment when the Jews rejected him. And then he's like, you know what? He just shakes off his clothes. I'm clean. If you're going to reject this message, okay. And then he goes, and then he begins to devote himself to the, to the Gentile community, to the non-Jewish community. And we see this adaptability in Paul, don't we? Here in our text, right? We see the first part of his time really being focused on the Jews and the latter part being focused on the Gentiles. We see him being able to move from the house of Priscilla and Aquila to the house of Titus. That he wasn't stuck in this one place, that it had to be this way. And we see him kind of surveying the situation. Why do I think that this is important, not forcing ministry? The word here, ministry, might be different in, in a context that you're currently in. It didn't force your position at work. Didn't force the relationship. Didn't force whatever that might be. Because a lot of times we force things, I believe, because of idealism. What do I mean by that? Like, 
whenever you think about your career, your relationships, any endeavor of your life, there is this picture which is called the ideal situation, right? And you formulate it, right? And that's what you're kind of like working towards. I'm going to climb this way. I'm going to move there. I'm going to do that. It's going to lead to this. And I'm finally going to arrive at this picture of where I'm headed, where I want to be at. And that ideal picture kind of leads us, it dictates us, and what we do is our decision-making process, our actions, is usually forced by that picture that we've set up. And when we have this picture that is ideal to us, too often, I think, it can force us to do things when the timing isn't right. It can have us really be stubborn in a place when God is moving us on, onward. And I think there's two simple suggestions to combat this, of how we can maintain like sanity in our lives and, and be more productive. And really, I think the first part is just maintain flexibility in life. Just as a general principle, as I see Paul, here in our passage here, I see him as being very flexible, right? Now that's not something that you, you, you want to maybe like think as overly spiritual. That's just practical, right? Being flexible in life. Knowing like, I, I can stay here. If I'm not there, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to speak to you. If, you. if you're not going to receive it, I'm going to speak to them. I don't have the money now, so I'm going to support myself in work. But now that I've been supported, I'm going to devote myself wholeheartedly to the task of ministry. That's flexibility. That's being able to understand the moment you're in and being able to act accordingly, right? And that's tremendously important. And I see that in the life of Paul, this flexibility, right? Being flexible with expectations, being flexible with the, our expenditure of energy, right? And I just want you to think of like a bending rod for a second, you know? Like a rod that kind of like bends back and forth. It just whips back and forth, right? And the flexibility of this, there are times where it's not like, where it's almost like you're regressing, you're going backwards. And there's times where you're going lightning fast forward. And that's what flexibility does. This malleability allows us to understand that when I am not rigid, I can adapt myself to the moment I'm in and see things from a larger picture. That's what it affords us. And for Paul, this was tremendously important. It wasn't like, I gotta do it this way, and why isn't the money here right now? I really want to go and speak to them right now, but I can't. And we see him being able to, to say, okay, wait a minute, all right, this is what we'll do here. In that city, I know I was only there for three weeks or, or one week or however long, but in this city, God is going to give me a, a longer season, a slower season. And not only to combat this should we maintain flexibility, we need to trust God's timing. Why? I, ideally, I want it now. But in the grand scope of things, as God looks at our lives, His timing is not ours. And there's a passage that I've read to you before. You can find your way there if you want. Ecclesiastes 3. I, I want to read the first 11 verses. It'll be a familiar passage to you. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. 
there is an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under the sun, under heaven. A time to give birth, time to die, time to plant, time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep, a time to throw away, time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made a time for everything appropriate. And he has set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. In this passage of Scripture, we see that God gives us enough perspective to understand the diversity of life. To understand both the life, the death, the war, the peace, the hating, the loving, the dancing, the mourning. All of that He gives us the wisdom, the capacity to understand at least that this is going to be reality. That this is a good thing, that there is balance and contrast in life. He gives us that kind of space to understand at least that much. But not enough capacity and knowledge to know the grander schemes. The, the things that God has set into eternity. And in verse 11, that's what he's talking about, right? I've made it everything appropriate in its time. And I've set eternity in your heart, yet not so that you will be able to find what God has done from the beginning. And so in the moment, I'll understand the contrast and the balance and the diversity. But yet, there's a space where God dwells. And only He knows. And so it's trusting in His timing, knowing that He has set it in place. Though it may be difficult, though I might not understand, yet I trust and I lean in. And I, I want to encourage you in this season to do that. Uh, that th there might be this desire to force the issue. And, you're, and you just trying too hard. And there comes a moment where you got to grip and there comes a moment when you got to loosen. There comes a moment where you got to fight for it. And there comes a moment where you got to say, it's not now. The wisdom of how to decide which one it is, I believe that'll come from God. There's an inner peace inside of us that knows which one it is. When it's pride fighting, or when it's God calling us to? I think we know. And so I want to encourage you. Don't force it. That's my first observation. The second observation is this. Paul feared. Why do I say this as an important observation? I mean, 
can I say this? It's okay to be fearful. I just want that, to sit, that statement to sit with you for a second. It's okay to be afraid. Because a lot of the times, as soon as fear sets in, somehow these alarms start going off and we say, I shouldn't feel this way. I need to do everything that I can to not feel afraid. Right? It's an unwelcomed emotion. Right? And as soon as it sets in, we do everything we can to, to eradicate ourselves of it. And somehow we think that fear is unspiritual. Because if I fear something, it means I don't have faith, right? If I'm afraid of it, it means I don't trust God enough. And I think this is also a result of that idealism. Idealism pushes us to act unbecomingly. It pushes us at a pace that is not God's timing. But also idealism, it puts us in this place where we put unnecessary guilt in our lives. Why? Because ideally we should believe in God. Ideally we should trust. Ideally we should love all the time. Ideally, ideally, ideally we have this picture of how we feel like this is the best way to serve God. And when we fear, somehow it is pulling away at this ideal picture. But here in our passage, right, it says, God said to Paul, don't be afraid. And he didn't reprimand him for his fear. And when it says that he was saying that to God, what does it mean? It means Paul was afraid, right? If God says, don't fear, it's meaning that Paul was afraid, right? That he was afraid. And the words that God had for Paul, I think, are tremendously important. You know? And he says to him, I'm with you. You know what? I got people in this city that you don't know about, right? I love that, right? Like, I got people here, right? I mean, I mean, you just go in the back alley. I got, I got Joe over there. I, you know, I got Marcus. I got Matthew and Jude. I got some folks here, right? And he's saying to him that, you know what? I know you're afraid that people are going to harm you, but trust me on this. Just lean in a little bit on this. I got folks here. And I'm going to create a space for you to be able to do what I've called you to do here. I'm with you. And the reassuring voice and presence of God comes to Paul in the midst of his fear. Not reprimanding and chastising him for it. But saying, I understand. And I'm with you. And I think in this observation, there's a lot we can take to heart. How many times have we feared in our lives? We feared taking the job or we feared losing the job. We feared walking with the person and we feared losing the person. And it seems as though fear is like this unwanted cousin that never wants to leave our lives. Right? It's just there. But in the midst of the fear that is ever present, there is something that God speaks to us. And he enlarges our perspective. And he helps us to see life, our lives, in its proper place. And so I finish. As you guys come back, praise team. Two implications. The first implication is this. When life's not ideal, learn to adapt and take things in stride.
when things aren't ideal, it usually immobilizes us. Right? It brings a certain arrest to our energy. It bogs us down when it's not ideal. Like, we stay up late at night when life's not ideal. We can't go to sleep because our minds are rehearsing what's not ideal and how we can get it to the place we want it. We can't focus when we're doing stuff because it's not ideal. And often, this moment of not being ideal is a place of great discomfort for people. And it's in these moments where we're, we're forcing it. We're saying things we shouldn't, doing things we should have waited, or not doing things we could be. But in those moments when life is not as you wish it or want it, learn how to just kind of step back for a moment. How can I adapt to this moment? What is God speaking? What is His timing in the midst of all this? And learn how to take those moments in stride, those disappointments and downturns. And wait. Wait. It's funny. When God talks about the tail and the head, and often we're always wanting to be the head, but somehow God can make the tail the head. (laughs) It's funny how that happens, right? And that's not ideal, right? Because it's happening in, in a time area space that we never expected. Like, I expected I'd be the head by now. But why am I back here, <laughs> right? Why is this me? I wanted to be up there. But somehow, if this not ideal situation, I can still trust, believe in God, know that He's got some plans that are higher than mine. And somehow He, can, he does a switch. Like, how He does it, I don't know. But He does it. And it takes patience to see that turnaround. When Joshua had this nation with him and God says, okay, take that city, Jericho. That's yours. I'm giving it to you. And I want you to walk around with instruments. Like, I don't get it, God. Like, we're not supposed to talk. We don't take our weapons. And all we take is these priests with ram's horns and we're just walking around. This makes no sense. This is not ideally how you take an impenetrable city. Not only you want us to do it today, you want us to do it tomorrow, the day after, after that, after that. All of those days for a week almost. I don't get it. And wait a minute, seven days from now, you want us to do this seven times? This is like an all-day endeavor, morning until night. I got a lot of people here, and all we got is instruments. No one can talk, and everyone is under their breath. They're saying some negative stuff. And yet at the end of seven days, you see how that tail became ahead. It's funny that way. If any one of those folks, like, this is not the way you do it, this is not right, and kind of force the issue themselves, that's, that's a different story, right? And the longer I serve God, I realize that He's trying to change my worldview, how I see myself and how I see the world. And he's trying to to change my worldview to see him and his heart first. Like, first. Like, the longer I serve, that that kind of uh, work of God never ceases. Like, he's always trying to change my worldview. Align it to kingdom mindset stuff. Right? And 
It's the not ideal stuff that pulls away from that mentality, that, that tries to kind of like hook on me and deter me, deter, bring me on a detour. And I, I just want to encourage you today, if you're on that detour, in that not ideal space, just hang tight for a bit. Don't run out of the space just because it's uncomfortable. Maybe God's got some plans in that little valley there. That's first implication. Second implication is this. God's plans are bigger than our problems. Being underfunded, not having enough partners, that was Paul's problem for a while. Having folks that rejected you, wanted you dead, that was his problem for a while. But just know that God's got a plan that can take those, that uses those things as a part of his picture. And I hope that encourages you today and helps you to see those moments, those black dots in your life, week, spaces, in proper perspective. Can I get an amen?